your quality system is the most important part of the company because if it gets through them, it should be good, right? And if it's uh, like after it's touched everybody's hands, that's uh, that's kind of the ISO mentality is your quality system is key and it's the most important part of the whole company. And they, they make the decisions over the CFO, uh, the CEO, I should say. And, uh, you know, if that part's no good, you're not using it. I don't care what you're saying. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at Digital Transformation Consulting Firm, Elevate IQ. The journey of ISO could feel overwhelming with the amount of standardization and documentation required. But if your machine shop never served a regulated industry, it could be a great start as you expand your market to other sectors such as aerospace, defense, or automotive. You will not only be required to change your processes and procedures, but you need to game up on training and documentation. In today's episode, we have our guest, Derek Hall, who describes the importance of ISO compliance and why it's necessary for shops to grow. He also discusses what non-ISO shops need to know about ISO compliance and how the processes of ISO compliant shops differ from non-ISO shops. Finally, he shares important concepts such as audit requirements and the importance of visual cues on the shop floor. Let me introduce Derek to you. Derek grew up working in a family restaurant, the famous Batista's Hole in the Wall on the Las Vegas Strip to music, action sports, and the last 10 years handling over $4 million in projects a year in procession, manufacturing, and business development. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hey, Derek. Welcome to the show. Hey, Sam. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Hey, I am doing wonderful, and I am super excited to have you on the show. We have been waiting for this moment for a long time. So here yeah. we are. <laughs> yeah, we've been, we've been playing uh, DM tag for the last couple months on how to make this happen. I'm glad we finally aligned these schedules. I know, I know. So let's kick things off. Do you want to kick things off with your personal story and current focus? Oh, sure. Um, how much time you got? Because I've been through a lot. So, <laughs> so <laughs> it's your show, brother. You can you can take as yeah, long as you want. Well, <laughs> you know, I started. Uh, I grew up here in Las Vegas. Started working real young on the strip. My grandpa owned a restaurant, Batista's Hole in the Wall, on the strip, and uh, uh, you know, learned the importance of you know customer uh, focused and customer service real quick. Because uh, you know, if you didn't have it, yeah. you didn't eat. Yeah. So after that, you know, I got a little uh, rebellious and wanted to chase my musical dreams and went off from there and, you know, went into marketing and toured yeah. with bands and did all that stuff and hence the tattoos. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, I had a child and uh, had to get a real job. So my uh, my brother happened to be a um, quality manager for uh, 
ISO 9001 certified company, cryogenic yeah. pump manufacturer out here in Las Vegas. And uh, I went over as just, you know, the receiving guy, just, you know, get yeah. my foot in the door. Yeah. And then um, I worked there for a little bit and we, ha- we, you know, I did everything, you know, from, I mean, everything. We even uh, had to rewrite the uh, ISO procedures and for yeah. receiving. They still use them to this day. And uh, they were, uh, they had a position for project management and I, you know, I showed some interest in this gentleman. Uh, he's a rocket scientist, Fabian. He came in and asked me if I wanted it. And I said, yeah. And I went and worked for him and, oh, wow. <laughs> it was yeah. cool. It was cool. I went, uh, I was at, with that company for about six years, headed out, went to, got asked to come and uh, actually run this, uh, run their, um, one of the machine shops that worked for this company hey, was retiring and asked me to come and uh, take over. So I was, actually still working with this, the crowd pump manufacturer just through the machining aspect of things now. So I just, yeah. you know, I, I got to see how we did it there. And now I get to see how they make it over here. And they were also an ISO and uh, AS certified shop. And uh, I pretty much only ever for the, probably the, in manufacturing, I've only worked for uh, ISO AS being the last couple years, but ISO mainly my whole career in manufacturing. And, uh, after that, I tried to start my own shop. Yeah, and we were me and my brother tried to give it a go, but a few things did, just didn't work out for us. And uh, so now I'm here. I'm in. <laughs> okay, amazing. All right, so you have had very crazy journey. Obviously, a lot of diverse background as well. You did yeah. a lot of uncool things, such as tattoos and music. <laughs> yeah. But then but... you are doing a lot of cool things, such as ISO. That is music yeah. to my ears. <laughs> You know, it's funny because, uh, you know, a guy like me, when you see me, you wouldn't think I would be um, in this kind of field or it, yeah. you know, take an interest in something like that. But, you know, watching the processes and stuff like that and uh, and how things are done, it's, it's, it's totally awesome. It's actually really fun. Yeah, it's so cool. I'm telling you. OK, so we have one more standard question that we ask every single guest, and that is going to be your perspective on business growth. Well, the last shop I was in, they were actually just ISO uh, so compliant. They weren't actually certified. They were actually, I, I was trying to speed up the process because, you know, getting ISO certified is heck of a process and it's a long process and you got to, you know, cross your T's and dot your lowercase J's. And yeah. uh, <laughs> so going through that process is, is kind of interesting, but you can, you can be successful just being ISO compliant. But there, you're very, very, very limited on certain things you can and can't do, you know. But so it's to make that investment to go full ISO is a is a good long term investment if you have the ISO, you know, uh, contracts. But since there's not a whole lot of those ISO companies out there, ISO machine shops in general, the uh, tier two kind of uh, things, shops, sorry. Getting an ISO cert is, you know, you have a pretty good chance of getting business just because you have that certification. And uh, I would say it was it was an interesting process going because I actually never saw the startup process. I've always worked for the company that's always had the had it done. And then, you know, we went through training to to learn, you know, all the processes and procedures for ISO. Yeah. So to to see the company actually, you know, have to go through that process was very interesting. And. (laughs) Kind of boring. <laughs> yeah, of, yeah. There's a lot of meetings and a lot of uh, wow. Okay, so uh, it's very, it's pretty interesting. It's uh, once you get it though, it's uh, it makes sense. 
as to why they do it this way, uh, you know, just for accountability and making sure the, these parts are not going to break under extreme pressure and um, from the material aspect of things. And so it, even then, when you have to order material, you know, you're only, you know, you have the, you know, certain countries you can only order from and certain places you can only order from or send to for outside processing and all sorts of things. But for the growth aspect of things, it was, it's really, I think it's really, really good for a shop to do something like that because yeah. these, you guys got, they got buyers in that are just constantly searching for new shops and all sorts of things. There's, there's so many ISO things out there that these shops aren't grasping and doing that they can be. And, but sorry, that's a, that's probably further into the conversation. We'll go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's exactly what we are going to be doing now. So let's paint the picture overall from the from the ISO perspective. So obviously, you have worked on a lot of different machine shops, tier one, tier two. So I know that ISO is going to be very important for the shop. But overall, yeah. if you were to describe ISO to anybody, okay, and which industries it is going to be relevant in. Are these going to be just the automotive and, and the aerospace machine shops, or is it across the manufacturing ecosystem? So describe what exactly is ISO and which industries and the ecosystem such as tier one, tier two are going to require some sort of ISO. Well, ISO is a standard that um, cryo, uh, well, you know, oil and gas and automotive, because there's different branches of ISO. I would say my okay. background is ISO 9001 and, um, and aerospace, AS, and uh, okay. nine, what I think was it, B, Red B now. But it's just a standard that these, uh, these companies make sure that you use to make sure that the guy, like, uh, the, like that everything is done basically correctly down, you know, because the tolerances are so tight. The applications, you know, for these parts are so detrimental in some things to certain situations that you have to have these processes and procedures in place or, you know, you're killing people, <laughs> you know, people, yep. that's how important these, these parts are, are made, you know, so an ISO procedure in place or any kind of thing like that, I think ISO compliance for any shop in general would be a good Thing to have in every shop just okay. to go through those processes and procedures just so it just makes you it dials it in more you, you're more you're more folks you can see everything that's going on you got all the pr proper paperwork you got nobody can call and complain because you know you have all this stuff and it is all documented and that's it's kind of a pain in the butt but it it, <laughs> it saves your it saves your butt in the long run you know um yeah. <laughs> you know, and it helps you. And I don't think, you know, every shop should go ISO by any means, but I think they should at least take some ISO courses and implement some of those things in their shops for sure. Okay. So when we look at the ISO procedures, sometimes, and especially in the machine shop community, if there are going to be newer shops, I don't know how many of them really appreciate the overhead of ISO. Sometimes that could be perceived as unnecessary if it is not really going making making sense to them so for example let's say if you look at the aerospace ecosystem if you are working with either boeing or raytheon then most likely what you need to do is you need to probably have the iso and and as compliance 
at the tier one level because your Boeing is actually going to be auditing those. But I don't know how much that is mandated at the tier two level. I have oh. heard in the community that some people don't necessarily follow the processes, even though they are claiming that they are certified, that nobody's really auditing them. So obviously there is a little bit of crack there. So what has yeah. been your experience? What would you recommend to these machine shops when they are going through, let's say, the ISO or ASME, how much uh, they should be complying? If they don't comply, what are the implications? Well, the thing is, a lot of those aerospace companies, you know, I haven't heard a lot of what you're hearing, but a lot of the aerospace companies are very <laughs> particular. I mean, they're on your butt about it really hard. Yeah. Um, and I would even say Nikiso, them, they would, they're really strict on their ISO policies. I know the guys in their quality office are on it. Like uh, they don't get it. They don't let really a whole lot. I don't not, I didn't even say that. They don't let anything get by because yeah. they're, um, and I, you know, I like all, I know all those guys personally and, but they're, they're doing their jobs. So, you know, I don't, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and yeah. it's very, 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 very important. I haven't, I've seen, I've been audited by, you know, I've been ISO audited a hundred times and, yeah. you know, for little things and big things, I've, uh, by something as small as a bag of, uh, hundred pieces of uh, screws. So I've worked with, with companies like Bombardier, Spirit, uh, Triumph, um, things like that. And I know those guys personally yeah. Uh, yeah. don't let anything buy. And as far as for shops, I, yes, uh, not every shop needs it, you know, like you, like you said, like, no. And, and some of those shops definitely are not following procedures. And there are shops that try to slide things under the rug or, you know, try to slide a uh, different stuff under the rug. I, I haven't personally seen it, but I have, I have actually heard of these things yeah. and, um, and they get in trouble. You know, once, once it gets found out, uh, I've seen shops completely lose contracts because they slip something, try to slip something under the rug, like completely, you know, you just lost a couple hundred thousand dollars a month. You know, you don't want, want that just because you want to just try to skim something by. And, uh, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's a lot of money. And so following those procedures, yeah, not every shop needs it, but I mean, it's a good way to just keep track of things too, especially in AS. Well, they're all, they're both, they have the routers and stuff or whatever you, uh, uh, everybody calls them travelers, routers, everybody has a different word for them at every company, yeah. but each, each one is labeled. It's all separated. So you know, which part you're working on for what company at what time, you know, you know, when it's done in both aspects of things. So you've got the router that. And this part, you know, goes from machine shop tier two to tier one. If it needs to be finished, that router gets finished there. And so th that's how strict these guidelines are. And these shops yeah. absolutely communicate with each other about this because they both, you know, don't want to stop getting paid. And if you <laughs> if you want to try to slide up, and I don't mean to, you know, I'm not saying anything bad about any yeah. you know, country's materials, but if you want to slide a foreign, you know, material in there that's not allowed to be used and then just put a fake thing on there it's going to get caught. It's, you know, yeah. it's not, it's not that easy to do anymore, especially as we, as we grow in ISO. I know when I was working in the Kiso, they, they, they pumped ISO down your throat. So it wasn't like, I wasn't saying it's a bad thing, but at the time I was really not happy about it because it was yeah. they're not the most fun courses, but they're really hard on it. And, and once I left there and saw the machining side of things, I can see why that is because coming from the just the tier one manufacturing where you're just getting the product and 
presenting it to the customer is completely different. You don't really, you kind of understand that process, but you don't, you know, and then once you see it from the material aspect side of it and how it all works there, you, you, it fully comes together and you understand why ISO and AS is important. Yeah, so some very interesting aspects there, and I am going to dig further into that, and that is going to be, for example, let's say you mentioned an example about the material. Mm -hmm. If you are probably going to replace the material, from my experience, when I look at the machine shops, they are slightly more cognizant in replacing the material, unless it is completely doable, right? I mean, the majority of the machine shops understand, you know, which materials to use which <laughs> not to use, right? In case yeah. of AS, obviously it is going to be super strict. If you need to make any changes, that needs to be approved by your, if you are a tier one, then that needs to be approved by your your OEM, right? Yeah. But in tier two, I don't know if tier two are really getting approved by the tier one. So now, yeah. so if the, if the question is related to material, sometimes that could be doable. And again, I don't know if there is approval process, but if yeah. let's say, if you are looking at some of the changes in your traveler or router. So the most common situ situation that I have personally seen in my experience, and this comes from the lean and continuous improvement, right? So lean and the ISO principles, this sort of conflict overall. And if you look at majority of the machine shop, they are really creative people. They want to get the job done, which is good. They want to save yep. money. <laughs> but sometimes you <laughs> have to follow the process, even if that yeah. means that you are not necessarily saving money. So yeah. that's where the conflict is in my experience. For example, yeah. let's say if you have to change the traveler or router, you have to get approval and that is going to be in compliant with your AS certification that you are not supposed yeah. to be changing things randomly. If you want to be AS compliant and if you want to please these guys, OEM and the, the T1s, right? Then you have to follow the process as designed. Would you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. And you know, there's a deviation process because for material um, all yeah. the time, and there are substitutes for deviate for those materials that you can use, yeah. and that's okay. And you know, those companies will approve it. But I've seen, you know, I personally, you know, made the accident, you know, where I've ordered a 932 brass. The part was 932, and I got, uh, I was looking at another part, and I ordered 954. Yeah, and, and we made the part, sent it to them. And it was completely, you know, wrong. Yeah. And but there's a, uh, and they send it back, and we had to remake it. And and because a, I didn't, you know, see if I can do a deviation to see if that material would even work or anything like yeah. that. So that alone just got it, you know, denied just because I didn't even start that process. And it will get denied, you know, especially with person the companies that I personally work for. If, if we if we've ever sent a part without the deviation, they it's denied automatically and they don't even want it anymore. They don't even want to try to see your deviation because it's like, you guys messed up, make us a new one. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, yeah. I totally get that too. And uh, I'm sure there are absolute, you know, companies that do the same thing. And I don't know, I, you know, just in my personal experience, I know they've, they fully come after you and, you know, send those things back. And, you know, because you have to have a material separation when you have ISO and commercial stuff. Like when you go into a shop and a lot of shops, there's shops that comply and there's a lot of shops that don't comply. And, you know, when they hear an ISO is coming, then they'll, you know, shimmy it over to another area. But you have to have material separation with ISO and AS. And if you don't, and if, especially, you know, if they do like uh, if somebody comes up and wants to do a random spot check and you don't have that in line, you're you're in trouble. 
you know, yeah. then your customers are going to hear about it. They're going to, you know, Hey man, your stuff's not separated. You don't, they don't know, you know, whose material is this. They don't know if that's from China and that's from Italy, you know, how do they know? So the, the labeling process, the whole process and procedure aspect of things. Yeah, absolutely. It helps. Yeah. So in case of your material example, obviously that is going to be, I think, you know, if somebody knows how this part is supposed to be done, right, they can figure out right away that you mm-hmm. probably use the different one. But absolutely. in case of when you are doing the machine change, sometimes that could be harder to spot. So in yeah. your experience, is that okay or is that not okay? Not okay. I think uh, you have to, uh, you just got to be on your stuff at all the times. So you got to treat yeah. every part like it's a new part, regardless if you've done it a hundred times. Because you, I've, I've seen, I've seen it, you know, done a hundred times and you, you know, you messed it up hundred and first, you know, <laughs> and, uh, no? yeah. And I've seen that done, you know, and so that's very, very important. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the shops that are not really the ISO compliant and they have the aspirations to go for ISO compliance. Yeah. And Derek, let's say if you look at these shops, you can tell by looking at them, which one is ISO compliant and which one is not. Okay, and one of the things that you are going to notice is going to be overall organization of the processes. The shop that are going to be ISO compliant are going to be slightly more organized. They will look as if they are following some sort of method (laughs) in the shop. The other ones are not really going to do that. So let's say if they are going for the ISO journey, one part is you have to do the application, you have to go through your approval process, you have to do the audit. That's great. But before yeah. that, you have to do the process changes overall in terms of the way your shop is designed, in terms of the way your materials are issued, in terms of the way you sort of work on your job. I think everything has to follow the mindset of ISO. Mm-hmm. So let's say if somebody wants to get into the mindset of ISO from a shop that is not organized, where can they start? What is going to be there? Let's say 30, 60, 90, 180. 360 day plan yeah. in doing so that. Where, where you would start is your quality department. You got, okay. If you have one. <laughs> okay. so, yeah, fair enough. You know, lot, there's, I've seen shops where it's like, you know, a guy sticks his thumb up next to it. Looks good, you know, and, <laughs> and I've seen shops with fantastic uh, uh, quality systems. And you know what? I always tell people, uh, if you go into a uh, machine shop yeah. and you don't see the quality uh, procedure on the wall, walk out of there because that, you know, if they don't, if they don't care about their quality procedures, then they are, I, I don't say they, I wouldn't say they don't care. I'm just saying that should be number one, because yeah. if you don't have some, a quality guy checking every pre, every part after it's done, you know, uh, then you're, you're going, I'm not saying you're going to fail, but I'm saying you're going to, you might produce more junk parts than good. So I would say you'd start with that, uh, a good quality department, get, um, get yourself a good quality guy who knows the ISO, you know, procedures. And even if you're not going ISO, just get somebody uh, if you have, or if you can, who who's aware of it, pay him a decent amount of wage and he'll, he'll make your quality system fantastic. And the, I think your quality system is the most important, important part of the company because it's uh, if it gets through them, it should be good. Right. And if it's uh, like after it's touched everybody's hands, that's uh, that's kind of the ISO mentality is your quality system is, you know, key. 
and it's the most important part of the the whole company. And they they make the decisions over the CFO, you know, uh, the CEO, I should say. And uh, you know, if that part's no good, you're not using it. I don't care what you're saying, and uh, I don't, you know, I don't care how big your paycheck is. They can tell you that, yeah. and that's and that's important. And and then you also need guys that can get yelled at a lot, <laughs> you know, because quality guys, uh, I don't know, get uh get they they have the the privilege of bringing bad news, you know, to people. And it's, uh, it's, they always are the, they're the messenger, you know, so they always get the brunt end of the stick for check doing their jobs correctly. <laughs> yeah. So let's say if you are the tier one guy and you are trying to hire some of the vendors for your project. Okay. So you are shopping around, you are going to many different tier two shops. You yep. see a wall where the quality is, being written in your explanation you said that you know what just show me the wall and as long as you are writing there i am cool i am probably going to work with you yeah but just because you are writing on a wall does not mean that you are complying and you are producing the parts with the quality and that is going to mean that let's say if you hire this this t2 then then obviously you are going to be out of the budget on your project as a project manager Okay, yeah. and your job is going to be at risk. So yeah. what can you do to ensure that, let's say, if you are working with a T2 as the project manager, yeah, that whatever they are saying is being followed? Well, like I, well, I started that uh, before I said, you know, see the writing on the wall. I said, make sure yeah. they have a good quality system. And yeah. then, uh, so you have to just do your due diligence in, in any aspect, in any new project point of view yeah if somebody brings you you know or you want to go you got to focus and uh, research their what they do how they do it see if uh, you can find somebody they've made parts for um and that's and that's it but <clears throat> you know ask to read their quality procedure everybody's got one uh, and that especially in the iso they can they should be you know books here it is if you want to read it <laughs> you know what i mean yeah and yeah. And, and it should be available like that as well and it's, uh, I know you're going to, you're probably, you're going to pay more. It's like, uh, you know, it's the, the whole, the old tattoo expressions, you know, good <laughs> tattoos ain't cheap and cheap tattoos ain't good. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> that's just, the that's how machining parts are too. And, uh, uh, so you have to just make sure that especially, you know, from a project management standpoint, you know, when I would have to go, uh, and buy material for, um, for mining projects before, you know, yeah. before. A, there's a there's a vetting there's a thing to where you had the the vendor has to be on your AVL and tier one you have a you know an AVL and uh, approved vendor list and yeah. uh, so you can only choose those um, you can go outside that list find ISO certified shops and um, you you give them a test part and you say hey make this uh, bushing for us real quick and uh, we'll pay you. Um, we just want to see, you know, if you can hold our tolerances, you know, if your procedures are on point and that's, and that's the processes they go through when they're trying to find new shops because there are, their places are constantly looking for new shops. I mean, uh, I don't think any one, you know, tier, any company gets their things, any parts from just one shop. And I don't think any company should get their parts from just one shop because, you know, what if catastrophe happens, but that's a whole nother story. Yeah. uh, Yeah. But in that aspect, yeah. Sorry. You have to just do your research of the shop, 
see who's used the shop, see their uh, relevance in the industry and, you know, go from there. And uh, yeah, they could put the writing on the wall. You're absolutely right with that. But if you do your, you know, due diligence, you'll find out if it's just, you know, toilet paper or if it's actually worth something. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about your experiences with the audit. And you mentioned that you have been audited, what, more than 100 times? So well, uh, not, when... not in bad ways. It's just, you know, because there's I'm not saying audited, you know, because being audited is not always bad. And, and glad <laughs> that you clarified that. Audit yeah. means good. <laughs> yes. Well, absolutely. You know, um, yeah. You know, internal audits, you have to do internal audits. And then especially for, you know, the ISO processes, you have to do those internal audits to make sure you're still following those processes and procedure because you got 200 people and you got 30 of them doing the wrong thing. You're going to have a hell of a catastrophe on your hands. So, uh, yeah, I, I've been audited quite a bit from from bad to good, you know, and then, you know, <laughs> seeing that process, you know, get, getting started was uh was was fun too i mean the guy comes in we have to you know we sat there and he my brother he was the quality manager uh at the shop we were talking about um we he wrote the procedures and uh you know i i helped where i could and uh because you know i'm not a quality manager by any means but uh i do know a few things and uh Yeah. And then they come in and it's about, you know, depending on what you're, you know, doing, which I, so you're doing, we're, we're doing 9,001. And so it was a three month, pro, three to six month process, depending on, and this was during COVID. So it was all, um, most, a lot of it was remote. So that was uh, good, but the guy would come down probably once a month, Yeah, you know, and then he'd send us back, uh, you know, all the stuff we need to fix and he'd come back and check it and, send us back everything that you need to fix and it's a whole process and procedure and then they have to go to the, you know that company and saying hey these guys are good to go you can use them or you know even if you're just doing the client thing too it's like you can go you can hire an iso guy to come and check out your, your compliancy and then you can relay that to them just to confirm your compliancy as well to get that business and i've seen compliant companies don't get me wrong actually be very very successful in iso situations to where they didn't they They've never gone full certification, but they're still doing a good portion of their business just because their machining is just so on point. So it just depends on you. I mean, if you're following those processes and stuff, uh, then it, it, it's good. Yeah. So tell me some stories uh, where the specifics of where the typically the problems are going to happen. So let's say, and again, I am not talking about bad way of auditing. I'm talking about, let's say, if somebody does not have experience of going through the audit process, what are they going to expect? What kind of problems are being typically highlighted? Are they related to changes on the shop floor? Are they related to replacing machines? Are they related to replacing people? So give us oh. some examples of those stories where you went through the audit experience and maybe it was a shock for you that you were not expecting that. It may be a surprise. If it was not surprise, you would have picked that by now, right? By then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, well, I've never seen anybody, you know, suggest changing machines or anything like that or yeah. employees for that. Uh, yeah. I don't think they don't really look at the machine aspect and the employee aspect of what they're doing. They more look at the final product and the, the, well, not the final product, the processes from getting the, getting the material to making the final product, not what's in, you know, entailed in that, but not the machine mm-hmm. used or whatever, but it's, it's just that how it's done. It's done the correct way. 
you know, we were lucky enough when we were doing it, we didn't really have a lot of backlash. I would say that whole process, you just, I mean, like I said, it starts in your quality department. So that yeah. guy, whoever you get to write the procedure, if it's you or whatever, it could be depending on what you're trying to do as well. It could be the easiest, you know, you can just get a kind of a sample of one and just, and start breaking it off from there. Like, uh, I know my brother, he, he kind of, he had, uh, some pre previous, you know, experience with Nikiso being their quality guy. So he already knew that whole process and how to do it and, uh, put it all together, which was, you know, great. And it, it made things go a lot smoother. So I didn't really have like a lot of backlash problems, but the thing I could say is I had like, uh, they're just, they're sticklers. So, um, you just, you, you go pretty much section by section, you know, how do you do yeah. your ordering processes? How do you do your receiving processes? How do you do, and it's just one by one by one. And it has to be worded in a way to where it's, you know, any, anybody can read it and understand it. And, um, um, you know, the processes I'm talking about. So you can, you can essentially, uh, a person can come in, read your processes and procedures and not really need a whole lot of training because that's how in depth these things should be. So I wouldn't say like, uh, we had a lot of pushback. I would say the only thing is, uh, and then you, you have, like I said, you have to do the material separation. You have to, you know, label everything that, you know, you should be labeling it anyway, but there's a different labeling process for, you know, commercial and, you know, non ISO and non AS stuff way different. And, company companies absolutely treat it the same you know and i've seen companies uh i've you know i've walked into shops where they uh they they just keep the material together and they just all say it's all just one you know and that in case they do ever get audited and <laughs> but and then they just somehow know and so those are the shops that don't stick around too long though either and so when you're trying to push you know pull one past, you know, these processes and procedures, it's, yeah, you may, you may ride that train for a little bit, but you're going to get caught and it's going to backfire and it's going to be very, you know, detrimental to your business because of that, your reputation is going to go away. Uh, you're going to lose a lot of business because now you're the guy that wanted to bypass those procedures. And, uh, uh, but he was a really nice gentleman. He came in and, uh, he yeah. sat with us for, for a couple days and then, uh, he came back a month later and, you know, we just fixed whatever. And it wasn't, it wasn't, it's not like it's hard or not like mean people or anything. It's just, uh, they're just very sticklers. That's all. And I, I, I'm trying to think of examples of, uh, of any, anything we've had to fix in that aspect. In the pre-show, when we were discussing about the ISO, you mentioned a couple of charts and the color codes and a lot of different things on your document. So why are those color codes important? What do shop owners need to do when they are going through the journey of ISO in implementing these color codes? Is that part of the ISO requirement? Can you talk about no, those color codes? No, that's just made more or less just for visual aid, the color codes were labeling and you can do it however you want. It does have to be every, does have to have some kind of difference to it. So I mean, but the routers all can generally look the same as long as the information is kind of is different. The color coding actually was is a good idea because it's you just know which company is which when it's going around your shop. 
So, I mean, you come up and you see a blue folder, you know, that's such and such. And, uh, or you see a brown one and that's, you know, so you don't have to really ask questions, especially if you're working on projects. I got to go work on this project. And you just, it's kind of a dumbed down version and it's just, uh, just to speed things up. But labeling the routers and stuff like that, those are, those are just the, uh, or planners, travelers, whatever we want to call them. Uh, labeling those is just, uh, is something very helpful in every shop, I think, uh, color coding, everything like that would act, you know, in the labeling aspect of things is, is good for shop, but it is a requirement, not the color aspect, but the labeling aspect of things. My understanding of the color coding that you just mentioned is you are trying to identify, you know, which order belongs to which customer. So on the shop floor, why is it important to know which order belongs to whom you are simply producing a job? I guess it really doesn't, honestly. It only matters to the account managers or project managers. I guess it's just for their general knowledge. They know who they know just what what they're working on and stuff. And you know, it just depends on honestly, it depends on how your shop played out too. I mean, because uh, every shop has their strengths and weaknesses, you know. So you got guys that work on the aerospace, and you got guys that work on the commercial. So you know, if it's also because you have to just uh, lay, and I don't mean this in a negative way, in su- certain shops, you just have to lay everything out there so so blatantly obvious you can't have any pushback on it. So the color coding and and stuff like that, it helps everybody because it's like, hey, I'm looking for triumph job and then you have to go and find the instead of you know going through a hundred pieces of white paper you you could just go to the blue or green or whatever color it is and you already know that's the shop and that's you know as the machinist or as the project manager and i guess it doesn't really it just it just helps visually for everybody and then it just just identifies what you're working on in that aspect you know just so they're they know what they're doing too but it's not really a requirement by any means Okay, so that's it for today, Derek. Do you have any last minute closing thoughts? What I've learned, you know, in the the ISO, I think it just depends on where your shop wants to go. If if you want to create more opportunity for yourself, then I think ISO is definitely a good thing to at least look into or uh, implement a few of those things around your shop um, because it's just... It's good practice and procedures, and it gives you more availability to go after more jobs. And, and you know, and down that road, you can look into AS and expand on that as well. And it just gives you more. But I don't know if you want to go down the AS rabbit hole. <laughs> but other than that, no, I think uh, my experience in ISO, the only negative I would have to say is just uh, just the meetings. There's too many, but <laughs> everything else is... Uh, Everything else is great. I, I actually liked ISO and I actually learned a lot about uh, how manufacturing could be done better with the proper procedures and processes. And uh, it, uh, as long as you, uh, you know, from your end, if, as long as you get a good ERP system in, on, included with that, then, uh, <clears throat> you know, you're good to go. <laughs> okay. And my personal takeaway from this conversation is going to be ISO, irrespective of whether you are getting certified or not the processes are going to be super important for you. They can help you get additional business. They can help you improve your efficiencies. They can also help improve your bottom line. So it's only for your benefit if you truly mean the ISO processes the way they were designed to help you. On that note, Derek, I really want to thank you for your time. 
this has been a powerful episode. Hey, thank you, Sam. I appreciate it. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Derek, follow him on LinkedIn. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Mark Evans, who discusses the manufacturing and engineering processes of a Boeing supplier. Also, the interview with Clay Coleman, who discusses the importance of a QMS system and why it matters for manufacturing and distribution companies. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you, and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.